Hey everybody, you're listening to Angel Nears the Podcast. Angel Nears is a Silicon Valley community for startup builders, where founders and operators share their first-hand knowledge on how to build and scale startups. I'm your host, Oleg Kujikov, and our guest today is Gil Alushe, a co-founder and CEO of Metadata, the autonomous demand generation platform for B2B enterprises. Today, we're talking with Gil about helping B2B marketers focus on strategy and creativity by automating the routine and repeatable parts of marketing campaigns. Uh, But before we get into all of that, Gil, welcome to the show. Thank you, Oleg, and thank you for having me. Yeah, we're excited to have you um, and excited to hear from you, learn from you. So let's start by learning a little bit about you. Tell us about yourself. How did you become a founder and a tech entrepreneur? Let's see. I always wanted to be, I should say, legitimate entrepreneur. I started my illegitimate businesses when I was pretty young, selling firecrackers in Israel and, I don't know, hacking. And I did all kinds of odd jobs uh, as a kid to make money. I finally knew I wanted to start a legitimate business when I was maybe 24 years old. I was working as an engineer and uh, I, uh, I went to this MBA conference and uh, and ask for a school in the US it could be my ticket to to starting a business here and that was the beginning of it uh age of 25 a year later i was already in boston so that's when you first considered a legitimate business and not the uh, the other ones you've been running I, you know i've been i've been uh, <laughs> entrepreneur entrepreneurship wise yes i i had some some regular jobs as an engineer and you know army before that uh, so on and so forth but yeah i i always wanted to to start this this software business that seemed to be like the the best route for me and so i went to babson college which is a school that is known in boston for entrepreneurship i spent two years there and uh i worked well i had to pay the i had to pay that hundred thousand dollar tuition so I, I worked in marketing for some time and being an engineer working in marketing i saw all the things that can be automated and and basically i wanted to make myself a commodity and that's why i started metadata Babson, you know, I had a friend there. I had a friend from high school that went there. I think he liked it a lot. Mativ Patel, shout out to you if you're listening to the show. But yeah, let's let's keep going. Tell us about this uh, first idea you had. Actually, was made metadata your first uh, venture into entrepreneurship, or or was it something else? You know, I always say that metadata is the first startup that is going somewhere. But no, I had mm-hmm. others. I had one startup called OneYell that was actually a great idea. I even got a patent pending for it and. But you know, I was, it, I was, I, I didn't have the, I mostly didn't have the guts to go all in, because legally I wasn't allowed to, uh, and I was too young mm-hmm. to understand it doesn't matter. And uh, two, I, I just, I had to take, you know, a financial bet, which I wasn't prepared to, at the time. But that was a really good idea that I had at first, and even metadata. Actually, the product that we have today wasn't the first. It wasn't the first, it was always what I wanted to do, but it's not at all what I ended up starting with. I ended up starting with a completely dif- different product, more in the data space. Hmm. But after six months or so, I had about 1,000 users, and a lot of them were not happy because I wasn't interested in building what they wanted. And so I realized quickly to, to pivot into what we are today. Can you talk about that pivot? What kind of decisions did you have to consider? What, what changes were made? So that was 2000 and. 16, we had a piece of software that we built that basically you could you could enrich emails, you can build audio, you can you can uh, mostly enrich emails and, and it kind of automated the process of building data sets mm-hmm. via APIs and some web scraping. And um, we 
we pivoted from that to a business that essentially runs campaigns for you. The reasoning behind it was that we realized that while the competition is fierce for data and it's only becoming a commodity, there are only more and more data companies out there, the, the problem that we ended up solving was a problem that no one wanted to touch because it was so complicated to, to solve. And so we, we decided to, to completely change the company and go, to, go towards the other one. And it was painful because, first of all, we had to, to let go of customers who were paying and were happy and needed that thing right away. And two, because we had to build a whole new product and focus on a completely different set of, uh, set of problems. And by that time, we burned some money. And so, but it was a very good decision to make. And the earlier you can make those, the better. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Good advice. And so uh, can you give us the elevator pitch for uh, metadata? Like, what do you guys do today? Yeah, so think about us as a replacement for a performance marketing agency. So marketers in the last, I don't know, decade have been struggling with managing a growing number of technologies, channels, data sources. They need need to constantly manage those in order to create pipeline for their sales counterpart. A lot of the work or vast majority of their work is technical, repetitive, and mundane. It's very data-driven work, like setting up campaigns, optimizing them, doing attribution models, demand models, testing all kinds of creatives and contents and channels and campaign times and audiences. It's a very tedious technical work, which is perfectly fit for a person like myself, an engineer. And so there are many marketers out there who are benefiting from this chaos, but vast majority of marketers are suffering. They want to be more like Don Draper for Mad Men. And that's not at all how their day is looking like. They're not drinking whiskey and they're not like traveling and, and doing cool, cool strategy presentations. They're like, they have seven spreadsheets open and they're doing like A-B testing on a creative and tra- checking the cost per click. Like that's a nightmare. And so what we build is essentially a piece of software that does all of the data acquisition, all of the campaign execution, optimization, all the attribution analysis, all the reporting, all of that work is done behind the scene by a software that can scale up and down depending on how big and how big the quarter is going to be or the year, how much revenue and pipeline they need. And it focuses people, marketing people, back in tasks that they like, creative, content, and strategy. Got it. And so uh, now that we understand a little bit more about what you guys do, can you talk about like why you do it? What, what's your mission? My mission is to fix MarTech. Mar- marketing technology space is one of the busiest space, spaces out there. There are, I think, something like nine or 10,000 companies in our space. Many, many, many technologies. And, it's, and this is only growing. And it's good. It means that there is a lot of innovation in the marketing and sales world. The, my, my mission is to fix it. And instead of overwhelming both the marketers and the operators in this space, and then what is likely to happen is what happened before uh, to try to fix it, which is to, cons- to do consolidation, uh, instead, I'm trying to build an operating system that essentially will abstract all that complexity for B2B marketers, make it, make it you know, extremely easy and, and fun to do the execution and so that you're able to, to, to focus on the value add. That's, that's my mission for, for the company. Well said. So let's get into kind of modern day uh, marketing or, or, or help me understand like marketing today. Um, there's this term account-based marketing. Uh, what is that and how does it compare with traditional inbound marketing? Yeah, so account-based marketing is a methodology. And it's a simple methodology that says you're a, you're a B2B company, meaning, meaning you're a business selling to other businesses. By definition, unlike Coca-Cola which or, or Pepsi or McDonald's, 
their target audience is almost everyone. So they may as well spray and pray, put a, a billboard here, commercial on TV. It's going to capture the right people because almost every person is the right person. While in a B2B space, I'm targeting, let's say, 100,000 companies in the world. That's a big total addressable market. If you, are, if you address 100,000 companies, that's a lot. So let's say that you're address, you're, you address 100,000 companies in the world and you only address particular people within that company too. Let's say you, you sell a load balancer or you sell a storage solution or a cybersecurity solution or a marketing solution. There are only so many people in the company that care about your solution. Otherwise, they're focused on something completely different. So the HR director, the for a marketing system, let's say there are 10 people who might be involved either as an influencer or in the buying decision. Account-based marketing focuses you only on the right set of companies with that are essentially your ideal customer profile. So you never ever f- spend another dollar or a minute of your time on a company that is not a best fit for you. And then you build all of your marketing material and marketing campaigns around that concept. So even your sales folks, they are focused on a set number of accounts. You can give your salesperson a thousand accounts that they focus on, or five hundred accounts that they focus on, and nothing else outside of outside of that. That gives her or him the ability to focus all of their time and all of their budget that they are they are allocated to go after those accounts and after those particular people within those accounts. That is essentially the methodology of account-based marketing. What are some of the key challenges of account-based marketing? I mean, it sounds good, right? Um, let's be a little bit more precise with what we do, a little bit more focused with our money. But, uh, you know, it's it's uh, not this kind of shotgun uh, uh, method. So, yeah, uh, what, are th- what are some of the challenges that ABM presents? What you said is, is, is very accurate. It sounds very good and it makes sense. And account-based marketing is exactly that. It's just marketing that makes sense, that is appropriate for B2B uh, context. <laughs> The biggest challenge with account-based marketing is where, what the perception of what it actually means. And for a vast majority of marketers, ABM means programmatic advertising it, it, or sending, a, sending packages to like a particular set of accounts. I think the biggest challenge in account-based marketing is, is the gap of understanding from the concept, okay, I get it, I only need to focus on particular accounts and people within those accounts, to what do I actually, how do I actually execute around it? And I think if we opened up a set of tactics for companies in some sort of a journey, they can find out for their company, what does that mean to execute the company's marketing? That's, uh, that's gonna do a lot of, a lot of good uh, for marketers because I do think there's a lot of enigma still. And sometimes there is a perception that you can buy a certain solution or technology or hire an agency and they'll kind of do it for you. While, while with many methodologies, it's usually a cross-function kind of effort. Can you talk about um, how technology today might help ad- address some of those challenges? Yeah, for sure. So, for example, you can leverage data, data sources today that can tell you everything about your total addressable market. So, for example, let's say you are... Let's say you are, uh, I don't know, a new sales development tool, something that is, I don't know, the new version of Outreach or Sales Loft or what have you. Today, you don't, you don't need to start from scratch. Like your baseline today, giving all the data sources out there, should, should make you very, very effective. You should be able to purchase today a list of companies using Outreach or Sales Loft, or, or you, can, you can buy a data set 
of companies who are currently looking for sales development tools. You can even see which companies these are and market to them while they're in a buying uh, decision. So technology today is actually very sophisticated. It's usually the marketer that needs guidance towards what for them, for their, for their market, for their particular buyer and, and segment in the space, in the market, like what are the set of tools and data and channels that they need to use to be successful? That's where they need to focus usually their, their effort. But there are tools today that can go into, that, that can you know, make that data available for you. There are technologies today that are available to target very, very accurately. Like for example, LinkedIn conversational ads is a, a new but very effective way of, of generating demand because LinkedIn will give you essentially rent their, in, their inbox function to you and you'll, you'll be able to upload a list of accounts and particular people within those accounts with a message that you send ahead of time. And unlike those spammy emails that people get, that will be, this one will be paid for. It will be promoted on the top of their inbox, they'll make sure not to spam. So if they're not interested in, they won't see that again, and they only get so many a month. That will be that is, for example, an easy, fairly easy tactic you de- you can deploy in the account-based marketing uh, world. And the analytics you get back is is very very effective. At Metadata, we integrated that campaign type within the first quarter that it was available, and it's important to to leverage those technologies because you'll be able to generate quick ROI and that will give you appetite to really put more effort into ABM. You know, there is a, a, a kind of a vast amount of technology. There's a lot of technology across ABM software, including account-based management, account-based intelligence, uh, AB advertising, AB digital personalization, account-based execution, and even account-based orchestration. Where does metadata fit into you know, all of those I guess we're more in the execution, orchestration, but then MetaMatch gives you the data part as well. Mm. You know, it's, uh, it's something that we're struggling with as well. Like, uh, there are a few elements in the e-commerce marketing that, we're, that we cover and cover very, very well. I would say execution for us is the, is the area where, we're, where we think we're the best and the area where we're focusing a lot, which is how to make use of the existing channels, technologies, data, that is available either out there or for a company particular that already acquired, a customer already acquired particularly, and maximize the usage. Just remove the human limitation from the formula. It doesn't matter if you have 10 people or 100 people, you'll be able to execute at such a scale that you you would really know, first, you won't have to do any of the heavy lifting, so you'll be able to focus your team on on value-add tasks that humans do better, but... As importantly, you'll be able to scale and really test out everything so that you, you would really know what works and what doesn't work for your marketing team. I'll just give you a quick anecdote. One of our customers, it's an enterprise customer, they were able to run with, with our solution 13 campaigns in six months. That is humanly impossible. In, to, to run a complex sales kind of attribution and run all of those campaigns and audit them and monitor them and optimize them day in, day out in a complex sales cycle, it's, it's very complicated without, of course, hire, hiring like hundreds of people. Uh, and that is something that you can suddenly have, a power that you can suddenly have when you leverage you know, a system like, like Metadata. How about competition? Do you compete mostly against the likes of HubSpot or, or other startups? We absolutely do not compete with HubSpot. Uh, they are a partner of ours and many of our, 
of their customers are using uh, using metadata. We compete with the status quo or some of the execution work that agencies do. That is who, that is who we compete with. So you can choose whether you want to hand off the execution to a, a completely different company or agency to do it for you, or you can essentially leverage a system like metadata in which you will still retain all the knowledge of what works, what doesn't work. It will still use all of your creative uh, content, so on and so forth, but it will be able to do all the work for you. So you'll be able to scale as if you scaled partnering with an agency or hiring like 20 people to your like to any campaign managers to your company, you'll be able to have the same scale, if not more, and retain all that knowledge and have a computer essentially run all that execution for you. So you mentioned that you are kind of in this account-based uh, execution and orchestration area, and th those are kind of your strengths, right? So how does metadata help its users attack those challenges better than some other tools might? What sets us apart? The two components in our systems, the, the, the ones that we have, I think we have five patents uh, by now, those are ar around one is the targeting. So making sure that our customers never ever target the wrong co company or the wrong persona within the company. Even if they're targeting only 100,000 companies, we make sure that they're only targeting the 20 individuals and 10 individuals that are relevant and then spend all of their money getting them and but not wasting a dollar on someone else. <laughs> that ability to target like that, like laser targeting across all of the channels, channels that are historically consumer channels that were locked for B2B marketers, that's our first differentiators. Most, most B2B marketers, they don't even think about Facebook as an appropriate channel. But with us, because of our targeting graph that allows them to access those channels, the Pinterests of the world, the cores of the world, and be very successful in getting that inventory convert, uh, engaged. That is that is one big big advantage. The other, the other one is the experimentation. So how do we how do we you know how do our customers essentially test out every creative, every content they have, every campaign type that is available in all the channels. How, do, how can they test all the different segments, market segments that they have, you know, companies by technology, by buyer intent, companies by size, by revenue, by location, by usage, so on and so forth. And essentially running through that mix and experimenting at such a scale, that is the, the, the second advantage that we have. And so I would say that the laser targeting and then the experimentation, the ability to experiment at scale, those are things that we do that today aren't available any anywhere else in the B2B space, in the B2C space, in the consumer Coca-Cola, McDonald's kind of space, there are companies that are in, in, in the mobile space as well. There are companies that have been very successful, you know, in that niche. But in the B2B, it's, it's completely differentiated. Okay. So a quality account-based marketing strategy it requires complicated multi-touch efforts aimed at target accounts. This is a lot of effort, so you want to make sure that the uh, outcome is going to be worth it. It's going to be worth the investment. So how big should your customer's average deal size be to justify like doing this kind of account-based marketing effort? Yeah, that's a great question. I usually say that, you know, as long as you sell to a B2B company and you have a complex sale, I think it's worthwhile going through that exercise because you'll really know and have an understanding of who you're going after and not just try to sell to everyone. For us, usually companies that sell at, I don't know, a minimum of like 
15, 20K average uh, deal, sales, deal size, those would be qualified usually to, to you know, go after, to like do a proper ABM and to, to start executing with, you know, like with, with a solution like, uh, like metadata. I think if you're, if, if you're, you know, software company that sells their product for like, I don't know, 999 per year, you might want to consider like product-led growth, inbound marketing, any way you want to combine and, and diverse, have a diverse marketing mix. So you don't want to take all, the, all your eggs in, in one basket anyway. But as a lower dollar amount kind of product, you would want something that scales faster and less expensively. Okay, that all makes sense. So next, let's talk about uh, metadata itself. Uh, we already mentioned uh, briefly uh, in, uh, in sort of the beginning of the show kind of uh, how it started, but let's dive into that. What's the origin story of your company? Uh, did you found it with anyone else? Who's behind metadata? Yeah, so I started it uh, in 16. I was invited to a, to like uh, to an event. I think it was like a Bessemer Venture event to, to, to talk to a few CMOs. I was talking about my methodology of using data and experimentation. And uh, there was a lot of interest in that meeting. So much interest that in the lunch break, I went on my LinkedIn and I changed it to like founder stealth or I don't know what whatever I put there. It was basically like a move, making the move, like, all right, I'm doing this. And then when I was back at that meeting, uh, people asked me, like, oh, where, do you, where do you work? And I told them, well, actually, I just started a company doing exactly that. And that was kind of my the initial moment. It was on my own. I did have a few great folks joining me uh, along the way. So I had Jan, who was uh, my co-founder, and he, he left after, um, I think, something like two years. And I would say today the, the leadership team that I have is is my chosen uh, chosen co-founders, if you will. So the the people I work with today are every person in their field are extremely experienced, meaning much more experienced than I am in that area. And so that's t- today we kind of lead lead together. Uh, next, talk about the timing. Uh, wh- why is now the right time for your company? Now is the right time for the company uh, for a few reasons. First of all. Everything is moving online. Uh, so people working from home changes the way uh, people can be targeted. People in being engaged online and on social networks, meaning that there's a lot more marketing that is going to be effective in places like the metaverse, like Facebook, like LinkedIn, like Twitter, like Pinterest, so on and so forth. These are going to be the areas where advertising is going to happen essentially over there. Cookies are going away from the world. So Microsoft, Apple, Facebook, they're fighting and they're removing, they're becoming wall gardens where you can't, unless you integrate with, the particular, with that particular network, you're, you're out. There are no more cookies that can give you access to, to the people. So us, uh, Metadata, our entire targeting graph is based on, PP, based on PPI, PII, not on cookies, which makes it super, super helpful. During last year, when everyone was working from home, and a little bit today too, uh, our targeting is superior because it doesn't matter if you're working, at ho- if you're working from home or you're working from the office, we're targeting you on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on Google, and so you'll see the ad, you'll see the message. All of these things make it make it uh, very much necessary from a consumer side. From a company side, we weren't able to, we wouldn't be able to build this a few years, uh, like a few years ago, because big data, machine learning, and most importantly, the technologies that we integrate and operate today, they didn't have a RESTful API that was sophisticated enough for us to integrate to and operate. It's 
even today, it's kind of a challenge. We, we're design partners to more than three of our partners right now, like big companies, some of them public, and uh, we helped them build some of those APIs because they never had a company using it the way we do. For all those reasons, this is becoming uh, the, biggest, the biggest thing for us right now. Okay, let's take a look under the hood then. Talk about your technology stack and, and maybe what kind of important choices you, you might have had to make uh, early on with that. Technology stack. I mean, we have a modern technology stack, you know, with all the nice, good things with Databricks. And uh, I think we're using Java. We have a few, like, good, I think, Elasticsearch and a few other databases that helps us capture and encrypt the, the data. Uh, I think um, we're using microservices and very much a microservice approach so that everything can work in parallel. A lot of, I would say one of the biggest things about our architecture, funny enough that it's, it's also on the structure of the team, but also on the structure of the actual machine, it's very much uh, distributed where it can shrink or expand based on the needs. Uh, I remember in the past, customers would have, would have to wait a few hours if they build a big audience and that's like a not not a problem today. Like it doesn't matter. Like there are so many machines. If you are one of those cons- customers who will consume a, lo- a lot, you know, they'll just open a new machine for you, and you'll be able to, to work in parallel. So a lot of asynchronous uh, asynchronicity. To go into the details of particularly which uh, which technologies for every stack and every structure, I'll have to bring uh, my VP of engineering into that into the picture. Okay, sounds like another podcast. How about next? Uh, can you describe how you use uh, machine learning uh, to generate demand from target accounts and convert them to customers faster than the older legacy methods? Well, we use them everywhere. So we use machine learning, for example, when we establish a baseline for who is an ideal customer profile, what are the good channels, so on and so forth. So the first step with metadata is to connect your existing systems to the, to the platform. And the, the, the metaphor is as if you, you just hired a new VP of demand gen and she's going into all the systems. She's going into Salesforce, she's going into your HubSpot, she's going into your Facebook, your LinkedIn, your, all of the, your email, your Gong. It will try to understand what has been working and what hasn't. From Salesforce, for example, you can understand, you can learn who is a good customer, who isn't. What is the size of customer that you have a fast sales cycle, higher ACVs, more, more close one, so on and so forth. And which are the kind of accounts that are red herring? kind of accounts that you should stay away from, that they don't close or text forever, that they churn when they close, uh, you know, not a high ACV, they don't grow. And that's, for example, a quick machine learning regression model that can tell you, hey, look, for company A, for customer A, this is your ideal customer profile, this isn't, these are the kind of attributes that are important for you. For you, it might be the size of company or the technology they use. For another company, it could be that the attributes are number of employees or location, uh, you know? So it will tell you what attributes are important and then um, what's the what's the coefficient, how important are they? And based on that model, the, the output, it will be able to actually show you which accounts currently fit that model and which account you should go after that are lookalikes. So that, that, would, be, that would be one use, for example. <laughs> Another use for machine learning heuristics, a decision tree would be the our experimentation engine, the ability to take tens of thousands of components or variables and 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 play with them. Like let's try all the different channels and campaign types and audiences and the and the different creative, different calls to action, different background colors, different creative images, different URLs, different senders. If it's an if it's an email, all of those variables and essentially 
constantly, like a, almost like a real-time game, it will mix and match. It will make decisions. Okay, I'm going to switch this creative. I'm going to try this budget. I'm going to halt this campaign completely. I'm going to quadruple the budget on this one. We use machine learning for that because otherwise we couldn't hire enough people in the world to, take all, to make all, the, all those decisions in real time. Very cool. Very cool. Okay, next, can you talk about some of the key milestones that you've achieved on your journey? It's been, uh, what, five years? Um, so I'm sure you've, have, you've had some. I would say having the per- first person joining me, working with me on this full time, that was a big win. I remember Jan uh, joining me was cool, cool moment. Still a good friend. When, I had, when we had our first customer paying more than 100000 I think it was, I remember which company, customer it was, closing that $100,000 uh, customer for the first time. It was amazing. I, honestly, the first customer was 100 bucks per month. And it was also amazing. I also remember that. And then, you know, I think reaching 10 million in ARR, big moment. A few acquisition offers were very monumental. And I would say last but definitely not least, when some of the folks joined me, like when some of the people in my leadership team joined and said, like, I want to do this with you, especially when it was earlier, when shit was hitting the fan all the time and we were like almost dying every moment, that was very empowering because it's someone else that believes in this crazy idea and thinks like, yeah, this is very likely to happen. And it gives you more confidence that this is actually, might actually happen. Awesome milestones. Next, let's talk about your customers. Yeah, tell us like, uh, tell us about them. What does is, what is your customer look like? What's their ideal profile? So mid-market companies to enterprise are the ones that we focus on most. We actually hand, we have enterprise customers as well, but we don't actively go after, after them, mostly because of the sales cycle and there's a lot of demand from the mid-market side. So thinking about companies like Drift, Yelp, Zoom Video, Oyster, Redis Labs, Gartner, like all of those companies are our customers of metadata. I would say on the lower end, if you have a minimum of 50 employees and you raise a lot of money and you're hungry to grow, all the way if you have like 5,000 employees and you still want to grow and you're looking to automate all of the demand generation, only B2B companies, so no B2C, only B2B. And they use the modern stack, so they use Salesforce as a CRM and one of the top four marketing automation systems, which is Eloqua, Marketo, HubSpot, or Pardot. And then finally, you have a, an, a digital budget of at least 30, 30K or so per month. And there are plenty of companies that fit this, this profile. You're a, good, you're a good profile. Okay, and uh, next, talk about how a happy customer uh, uses metadata. What's the use case for them? What does it look like? So they usually spend the first day or two onboarding. That means integrating all of their systems and, of course, ingesting all of their creative content, so on and so forth, into the platform. From that moment on, it's really understanding the goals, the pipeline goals for the quarter, for the year. So I'm trying to generate a million, 10 million, 100 million in pipeline this quarter or this year. What is the budget? What is the marketing mix that we're playing with? And then trying out tactics. Let's try an account-based marketing tactic on display or, and on social. Let's try a demand-gen tactic, a lead-gen, a brand awareness, a sales acceleration tactic. They essentially get recommended those playbooks that metadata can support. And once they choose a playbook, they configure it. Uh, they configure the playbook, they hit the, the execute button, and, and the system starts generating results. Now, that's where the real magic happens. When the execution is, is up and running, when there are, I don't know, 50, 100 campaigns up and running, at least, sometimes thousands, and results are starting to come in, meaning inbound leads from tamed accounts that generate trigger new pipeline, 
then the system starts learning, okay, what is working? Which one, you know, what is generating pipeline, what isn't? What is pi- generating pipeline the most effectively? What can scale? If I put a million dollar more, can I generate the same amount of results for the same price or better? And then what closes into a successful close one? And then based on that, it learns. Like if it will learn after two months that the people that are actually closing the deal for you or that the, the, the real decision makers and influencers are different than the initial audiences that you created, it will automatically add those new people to new audiences. So it will learn from the sales cycle just like a human uh, or a team would. So this is kind of the uh, experimentation uh, leg of your platform that I think you mentioned earlier, and that is what you know makes your customers happy. That's what they love to use. Are there any other uh, favorite features or functionalities that that uh, are on your platform uh, that we haven't mentioned already um, that a that a happy customer might you know really get delight from using? I think many customers like to also use the MetaMatch, which are uh, which our ability to create all those targeted B two B audiences and enable them. Across, across channels that otherwise were locked to B2B marketers. So Google AdWords and, and uh, Facebook and Quora, these are channels that B2B marketers are deploying now and executing through the metadata, metadata platform, but they generate the audience with, with MetaMatch. And so that I think is another area. And maybe the last one is attribution. Our attribution is so harsh. It's, very, uh, it's trying to be very critical. So... Because, you know, many marketing tools, you go to the dashboard and it always shows this, like, unbelievable picture of all this attribution to marketing and specifically to that technology that gave you that pipeline. And then you have to, there is no much street cred and no much, uh, I don't know, uh, authenticity in that. I think the metadata dashboard is very, very critical because, most importantly, it's being used to make decisions, to actually decide among a hundred campaigns, which one is going to survive and get most budget and going to be, you know, quadrupled on. And for that, you need to be very critical. We use the same logic for attribution. And for that reason, many of our customers, they trust the dashboard and that becomes kind of the way they report upwards as well. And I think that's, uh, that's something that, that we're very proud of because it just brings that level of transparency that I think we, you know, B2B marketers are seeking more of. What type of customer might not be a great fit uh, to benefit from your platform? Yeah, and we actually published a, a again fairly honest blog post about it, so like to really focus someone when they're considering. So customers who are still earlier on, so like I would say smaller than fifty employees, or even at fifty employees, but still are on the path to get product market fit. Not really sure. Still, things are changing and volatile. That's usually not a good time for metadata because you need to survive at that stage. You're still trying to figure out who you are and you can't really spend money on trying to scale when you don't really need to scale just yet. And so those customers too small are the biggest misfits usually for metadata. Those customers may, may benefit from MetaMatch because it will help them focus at least on the right total addressable market, but without scaling just yet. On the other end of the spectrum would be companies that are, so customers that, 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 that their product, so their audience, sorry, is is not necessarily a B2B audience. So if they're selling to like if the you know if the if the total addressable market is not well addressed within the B2B targeting graph, then they won't be a good fit. For example, if they're targeting B2C companies, if they're targeting like, I don't know, lawyers or they're targeting freelancers, then they're less of a fit. Like we can the system can do it, but it's not ideally fit uh, for them. I would say those are the two kind of areas that that are 
not in the focus of metadata at that time. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, really great. And, and thank you for being candid on that. Thought it was a great answer. Uh, you mentioned this earlier, the, the end of cookies, right? How might the end of third-party cookies affect your customers, the uh, B2B marketers? So my customer is none because, uh, well, hopefully that's, 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 the, that's the, the prediction. And because the reason for it is because we use maze and, and PII, mobile device IDs and, and, and emails and cell phones and all the, the personally identifiable information that we can use. And so when we do the matching, we do actual matching on the, on the different networks. So there is less dependability on cookies. How is it going to affect the world of B2B marketing in general? Two ways. One is targeting and two, attribution. Targeting is going to be limited because if Google doesn't take cookies or Facebook doesn't take cookies, then how are you going to find those people that you're after? Either you decide you're not going to go after them because Facebook is not opening up an easy way for you to target those, those people, or you'll have to figure out a way to do that. Secondly, it's, uh, it's attribution. With cookies, you sometimes can use that to kind of guesstimate, oh yeah, someone saw my ad, they may, have, they may have not clicked all the way to conversion, but they visited this website 20 minutes later, and then they did this, and then they did that, and that's how I can attribute to them buying this product. Without cookies, you may not be able to do that. And so you may need to be a little bit more, change your attribution methodology, essentially. Uh, okay, let's talk about the go-to-market and the business model. Um, what's your strategy for go-to-market and how you reach customers? Well, I hired really great marketing team. That's really how we do that. But uh, no, joke aside, we use our own software and we experiment at scale constantly. We generate a lot. Over 70% of our pipeline is generated by marketing uh, and our revenue as well. So it's very well aligned that marketing is leading the pipeline generation for the company. They do it a lot with metadata, with experimentation, with paid uh, acquisition. We also are putting a lot of effort into content. So the conference that they just had, we had almost 5,000 registrants. And I think they release a new content piece weekly, if not more than more than once a week. Uh, and this is really ungated, high-value high content, which is kind, kind of what, what B2B marketers are at this point are looking and expecting for. So those two ways are, are a lot of ways that we're generating pipeline. And of course, there's a lot of good word of mouth, which is always the best way. So happy customers that become advocates of, of our company. Awesome. Yeah, word of mouth, great sign. Um, also, I think it's called eating your own dog food. Good sign <laughs> when you uh, kind of use your own tools. So uh, good to hear that. It's a positive indicator. Next, let's talk about community. Account-based approaches thrive when you focus on long-term relationship building. Uh, one way to do this is by creating a community. Is that something that Metadata is doing, and, and how are they doing it? You know, we're literally in the earlier stage of that. Yeah, something that we want to do, not something that we've necessarily invested in a lot. I would say our first conference earlier, like a, a, a couple of months ago, was the first was the first sign uh, to it. All right, then let's move on. Revenue generation, how do you make money? It's a software, it's a SaaS model, pretty classic. So think about HubSpot model, we're very similar. Different integrations, different, uh, you know, depending on the capacity, on the volume of usage, etc. But it's a basically annual or multi-year contracts with a particular, within a particular tier. And it's, that's, that's kind of how we make money. It's a classic software service. Lastly, let's move to closing. To recap the episode, uh, what's one thing about metadata that makes you stand out from the crowd? Experimentation. Ability to, to, to scale experimentation and execution. How about challenges? What are some of the challenges you face as a founder uh, that might keep you up at night? 
Scaling. Uh, I am now facing a completely different set of challenges that I needed, that I faced last year. So how do I hire? How do I keep the culture, keep the bar high? Yeah, these are the areas that I am focusing on right now. Okay. Uh, and lastly, uh, can you share something significant or maybe surprising that you learned uh, on your entrepreneurial journey uh, in the last year, last 12 months? Yeah, I started this AI company because as an engineer with a lot of work happening in my left hemisphere of the brain, I thought I would be able to automate so much that I won't be able to, I won't need to learn that much about people management and I was very wrong. The the most the most important part of our company that is an AI company are the people and uh I'm enjoying the learnings there. All right. So before we get out of here, what's the best way for our listeners to reach you and uh, and learn about metadata? Yeah, LinkedIn, Gil Alush, or Gil at metadata.io is my email. Always happy to help fellow entrepreneurs and really anyone that needs help. Then if you want to reach Metadata, our website, you'll have a pop-up chat right, after, right immediately when you land and asking a bunch of questions if you're interested. Awesome. Uh, well, thank you. Uh, thanks for being so approachable. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Um, we're going to end the show there. If you liked our show, uh, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a rating. Gil, thanks for joining the show. We appreciate your time, your insights. And uh, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a blast. Awesome. Thank you, Oleg, for the opportunity. I enjoyed the conversation. Oh, 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 oh,